Today's verse reading is from the second book of Timothy, chapter 2. Again, that's the second book of Timothy, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. A good soldier of Christ Jesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have his first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good afternoon, church. I want to pray, and then I want to dive into 2 Timothy chapter 2. Father, we pause for just a moment, and we ask that you center our hearts and our minds upon you. We live in a very busy, distracted age, and we are asking that you would help us to stop, to think carefully, to listen intently to what you have to say to us from 2 Timothy chapter 2. We ask that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding of what we are reading and studying. We ask that the Holy Spirit would help us to taste and see that you are good. We humbly ask that you open our eyes to see you for who you are in all of your glory. You are a gracious God who gives us the strength to persevere in this life and ministry that you've called us to. So Father, this afternoon we ask that you would glorify your name, that you would encourage the faint-hearted, and that you would save the lost. Please do this for your glory's sake and for our good. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word and you've not yet turned there, would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. As you're making your way to our text, I think it's very good for us to be reminded that the Christian life is not easy. In fact, as a pastor, I would encourage you to never listen to anyone who says otherwise. One of the privileges I've been given as a pastor is to be able to sit with many elderly, faithful saints who have shared with me how over the years they've endured many difficulties, many hardships. They've even faced persecution for their faith. And they've shared with me that in the midst of those hardships and difficulties, they've been tempted to quit. They've been tempted to give up. They've questioned, is this worth it? I wonder if there are any of you in this room who would find yourself in a similar place. Are you weary? Are you faint-hearted? Are you tempted to just throw in the towel and say, I'm done. Being a Christian in 2022 is too hard in this area. I'm just walking away. Well, friend, if that is you here this afternoon, take heart. You are not alone. As we'll see, Timothy 
the young protege of the Apostle Paul, he was struggling. And as we'll even understand in just a moment, the Apostle Paul struggled. In fact, if ever there was a man who understood the hardships of the Christian life, it was the Apostle Paul. After Christ confronted him on the road to Damascus, Paul spent the rest of his days living out the Christian life and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. It was not easy for him. No, friends, he was mocked. He was reviled. He was beaten. He was scorned. He was shipwrecked. He was in prison. Yet, in spite of all of these difficulties, Paul persevered. In fact, he persevered all the way up to the point where he was executed for the sake of the gospel. And understanding the difficulties of the Christian life and ministry, the Apostle Paul writes 2 Timothy. He addresses it to his young protege in the faith, Timothy, and he writes this letter to encourage him to persevere. And in our text this afternoon, the Apostle Paul will offer up encouragement to Timothy, and by extension, every believer in this room here this afternoon, on how we may persevere both in the Christian life and in the ministry God has given us. Lord willing, we will see that, number one, God gives strength to persevere. And that part of our perseverance requires gospel multiplication. And last but certainly not least, we should see that as believers living the Christian life and ministry, we should not only expect, but we should embrace suffering for the sake of the gospel. So if you are able, I want to invite you to stand with me in honoring the reading of the Word of God as we read 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear the Word of the Lord. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Strength for the Christian life and ministry is found in the grace of Christ Jesus. And that is our first point this afternoon. Strength for the Christian life and ministry is found in the grace of Christ Jesus. Our text begins with this wording, you then... The Apostle Paul is bringing our attention back to the whole of chapter 1 where he informs us that Timothy had been struggling both in the Christian life and in the ministry. If you read 2 Timothy chapter 1, you'll see that Timothy was prone to be fearful. He was prone to be ashamed of both Christ and the sufferings of Paul. What is more, he was prone to shrink back from his responsibilities to dealing with the pressures of life both inside and outside the church. 
And Paul, knowing what would be coming for young Timothy, helps him see that it will not be easy. In fact, if you were to look a few verses back from our text this afternoon, in chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, the Apostle Paul tells us that everyone in Asia, except one man, had abandoned him. The abandonment that Paul writes about in chapter 1 was more than people not being there for their friend in his hour of need. No, friends, it represented the crossroads of perseverance and apostasy. So being a seasoned minister of the gospel, Paul understood that Timothy would soon come to the same spiritual crossroads. He knew that Timothy would at some point be tempted to quit to abandon the faith. So in verse 1, Paul tells Timothy to strengthen himself in the grace found in Christ Jesus. Here's the question. Why? Church, the answer is because the only way Timothy would persevere, the only way that Timothy would be faithful in the Christian life and ministry is if he had supernatural strength. Strength that is found in in Christ Jesus. Now the verb in the command, be strengthened by the grace found in Christ Jesus, it is a present passive imperative. Paul is instructing Timothy that he is responsible to continually strengthen himself. Yet, the ability to strengthen himself comes from God. That is what Paul is driving home here in verse 1. So let's unpack that, if you will, for just a moment. Let's look at that phrase, in Christ Jesus. If you were to flip over to chapter 1, I'm not going to read the text, but 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, there you would see that Paul tells Timothy that before creation, before you and I and Timothy and all believers, before we had done anything good, God willed to call us to salvation in Christ Jesus. And God did this according to His own purpose and grace. And then Paul tells us in that passage that this grace by which God saves us was displayed or manifested or made known in Christ. Christ Jesus. So we might say it like this. In Christ, everything Christ did in His incarnation, in His work on the cross, in His resurrection, everything that Christ did is the means by which grace strengthens sinners. Sinners who trust in Christ for salvation. So friends, Paul is making clear that Jesus Christ is the source of this grace that Timothy, and by extension, every believer in this room this afternoon, will be strengthened. One theologian puts it this way, Paul commends Timothy to a source of empowerment that transcends mere flesh and blood. But we're left with this question. How does grace strengthen Timothy? You see, we often think about grace as that which forgives sins. And it is that, yes and amen. But did you know grace is also power? 
Turn with me to Ephesians 2. I, I want you to see this passage real quick. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 6. Very familiar passage. If you'll allow me, I'd like to read it for us. Ephesians chapter 2. Hear what Paul says. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now, in your Bible, you probably have a hyphen there. And Paul puts this one phrase. By grace, you have been saved. Hyphen, and then he continues, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, if you follow the logical argument in this passage, Paul could have ended verse 5 with, made us alive together with Christ, and began verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But he doesn't. He actually puts this hyphen. It's the same way in the Greek. And he says, by grace you have been saved. Here's what Paul's doing in that passage. Paul is helping his readers understand that grace is the power that takes dead people and makes them alive. Grace is exerted on those of us who were dead and makes us alive. So grace is not just a disposition of God towards his people. It is the very power by which God raises the dead. And we see grace as power in many texts in the New Testament. But let me, let me offer two for you to read maybe later this evening. The first is 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. There Paul tells us that grace is the power for all believers to do good works. Your ability to do good works is actually powered by the grace found in Christ Jesus. The second text that you should read later on is actually 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. And there, Paul tells us that it was the power of God's grace exerted onto his life that allowed him to work harder than all the other disciples. Friends, grace is not just God's disposition towards us. It is the power for us as believers to persevere in this Christian life and ministry that God has called us to. So let's think about an application in two ways. Paul is simply saying that Timothy and all believers are strengthened by one, looking to Christ. Looking to everything Christ did, everything He is, and as we look to Him, His sufficiency, His life, His triumph over death and sin, as we look to Christ, we will be strengthened. We will be reminded and encouraged that we serve the One who has power over all things so we can persevere through the difficulties in the Christian life because our King has assured us of the victory. But we don't just look to Christ. Number two, we trust Him. As we recall the life of Christ, as we look as his, at His sufficiency, as we see His promises laid out in Scriptures, we will be drawn to trust that because of Christ, we will have all that we need to persevere. So we look to Christ. 
We trust Him to provide the grace that we need to persevere. Brothers and sisters, it is likely, as I said a moment ago, that in this room, some are struggling with persevering in their Christian life. We've gone through a very hard two years, have we not? It's been hard on the church. It's been hard on families. It's been hard on our country. And, and I know at times I've even felt that pull to, to wonder, can I keep going? And I just want to humbly lay before you 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to encourage you, as Paul encouraged Timothy, to strengthen yourself in the grace that is here, that is available for you, but is found only in Christ Jesus. You would do that by looking to Christ. Recall that He is our King of kings and Lord of lords. Recall to mind that death has been swallowed up in victory. And we are assured victory. And one day we will reign with Him. But until then, look to Him and continue to comb the Scriptures and, and see the beauty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and trust Him in the midst of these dark and difficult days. Be reminded that He is good. He is faithful. Friends, that He will never leave you or forsake you. He will give you the grace to persevere. So look to Christ and trust Him. But I, I want to talk with all of you in here who would say, I have been faithful, but I am tired. I am weary. Well, take heart. Our weariness only serves to remind us that this world is not our home. We await a better home. But until then, keep pressing on. I'll say it again. Look to Christ. Trust Him. Encourage one another to continue on in love and good works. Be reminded, as I said a moment ago, God will strengthen you. He will encourage you. He will strengthen you. He will never leave you. So friend, keep pressing on. I'd also like to take a moment to talk with those who are in here who, who are not believers. You see, the strength that Paul speaks of is given to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not have access to the strength that Paul speaks of in our text. And the reason is because like myself and every other believer in this room, your sins have separated you from a holy God. There is a debt that has to be paid. And the good news of the gospel is God, being rich in mercy, sent Christ to live the life we could never, ever live. And He died the death that was reserved for us so that all who would turn from their sins and trust in Christ alone will be saved. But friend, if you were to go to your death having rejected the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, the bad news is you will spend all of eternity under the just wrath of a holy God. And so God's kindness and grace to you at this very moment is that He is 
calling you to repent of your sins and to trust in Christ alone. If you would like to know more about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, please see Pastor Rob, one of the other elders, or myself. I would love nothing more than to show you who Christ is and what he offers to sinners. So Paul tells Timothy that the strength to persevere in the Christian life and ministry is found in the grace of Christ Jesus. And the reason Timothy needs this strength is because of what Paul calls him to in verse 2. Look with me in our text. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Perseverance in the Christian life and ministry requires gospel multiplication. And that's our second point this afternoon. Timothy needed strength supernatural strength because he had a job to do. And Paul tells us that this job Timothy had in verse 2 was to take what he had learned from the Apostle Paul and to then entrust it, the gospel, to other faithful men. You might think of it this way. Paul wants Timothy to give away the gospel. Now, friends, this command is fascinating to me. Because in Scripture, the gospel is often referred to as a treasure. And what do you typically do with the treasure? You don't give it away. No, you you guard it. You keep it. And ironically, that's exactly what Paul told Timothy to do back in chapter 1, verse 13. He said, young Timothy, I want you to guard this good deposit, this treasure of the gospel. But just a few verses later... In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul is telling Timothy to give away the gospel. Consider the implication. The implication is we guard the gospel by giving it away. You know, five years ago, my grandfather passed away. A very godly man, a a man who... um, by God's design, he used to really change the trajectory of our family tree. He's a man I love dearly, a man I miss sorely. Shortly after he died, my grandfather, or my grandmother rather, actually took me into her room and she gave me my grandfather's watch. I have fond memories of watching my grandfather wear this watch. After he retired, he had this woodshed in the back of his house and he would build grandfather clocks and and pulpits and cabinets and and I remember being a young kid just watching him kind of playing wood and and seeing that watch on his wrist. I have memories growing up of being at church and sitting next to my grandfather and, and seeing his watch peek out of his suit coat. This watch is one of my treasures. Do you know how I guard it? I don't wear it. I don't let other people wear it. And as much as I love my children, I don't let them touch it. What I do is every so often I will take it out of my drawer, out of the box, I will look at it, and fond memories of my grandfather will come rushing in, and I will thank the Lord for this godly man who played a profound part in shaping the man that I am today. But when I am done, I will put it back in the box, I will close the box, I will put it back in the drawer, and I will shut the drawer I do so because I want to preserve it. One day I hope to pass it down to my children. But the gospel? 
Friends, the gospel is not to be guarded the way I guard my grandfather's watch. You don't pull the gospel out, look at it, listen to it on on a Sunday afternoon, then then put it away and go live your life. No, friends, the gospel is this glorious treasure that should never be hidden away. The gospel must be made public. Now, perhaps some of you are like, wait a minute, I'm familiar with the context of this passage. And you're saying, this is a letter from an apostle to a pastor. And you would say, I'm not an apostle or a pastor. And I would say, yes and amen, you are not an apostle. And by God's grace, you have some good godly pastors. And it is true that this is a letter from an apostle to a pastor. And the specific application of verse 2 is that pastors need to guard the gospel by making sure they pass on the gospel to faithful, elder-qualified men who will continue doing so in the same vein. That's the biblical model of multiplication. But broadly speaking, this verse applies to all believers. If you are a follower of Jesus, you signed up to teach others how to follow Jesus. We call this discipleship. That's what Jesus modeled for us in the gospel accounts of his life. In fact, that's the last thing recorded in the gospel of Matthew where Jesus had gathered all of his disciples. And in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, very familiar passage, Jesus tells his disciples to go make disciples. How? Teaching them all that he had commanded. Friends, the Christian life is one of passing on the gospel by teaching the scriptures to others. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, Christian, you are tasked with making disciples by taking what you have heard in this place, what you have been taught by your elders, and passing it on to those whom God has placed in your life. Fathers, how are you doing at discipling your, your wives? your wife and your children. Mothers, are you taking the time to to push back some of the busyness to make sure that you are pointing your children to Christ? To those who don't have children, who are maybe a little more advanced in the years, are you pouring into the younger believers in this church? To the single ones, are you being faithful to proclaim the gospel to the people God has placed in your life? It is our responsibility collectively to teach others how to follow Jesus. But we are not to do so carelessly. That word, entrusting, signifies carefulness and precision. Paul is telling Timothy that he must be firm in the gospel. He must be firm in sound doctrine so that... He can rightly teach and entrust the gospel to others. Church, the same applies to all of us. We must be careful and precise in handling the word of God. We must be rooted firmly in sound doctrine so that we do not pass on some heretical gospel, but we pass on the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So brothers and sisters, the command to entrust the gospel applies to everyone present here this afternoon. The question before us is, how are you doing at making disciples? I would ask that question individually, but then corporately, New Hope, how are you doing at making disciples? You know, as I was preparing this sermon, I was struck by the reality that that Paul is telling Timothy, a pastor, to entrust the gospel to faithful men in Ephesus. And this afternoon, I'm pointing to our text, and I am asking you, I'm encouraging you to do the same thing. But what are we to do with those who do not have a Paul, a Timothy, a Pastor Rob, a Pastor Chan? What are we to do for them? How does this passage apply to them? How does this passage encourage them? As it stands, there are some three billion people in the world who have little to no access to the gospel. Please hear what I'm about to say. It is not that these people can hear or that they have heard and that they've chosen not to believe the gospel. It's that they can't even hear because no one around them knows it. How does this verse apply to them? How does this verse bring hope to them? I submit to you this afternoon that just as Paul instructed Timothy to give the gospel away, so it is the local church's responsibility to give the gospel away to those who have never heard. And how do we do this? By sending faithful, qualified people who can rightly handle the Word of God. These people we need to send out to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am here humbly asking that you would join me weekly in praying that the Lord of the harvest would raise up more laborers. He has told us in His Word that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Would you, New Hope, even consider, some of you even consider going, I've got a good life, the Lord has been faithful and kind, but I will walk away from all of this in order to make the glory of God known among a people who do not yet worship Him. Something I consider a great travesty that our Lord is not fully worshipped by all people. Would you pray with me that the Lord would raise up more qualified men and women who would take this good news of the gospel and bring it to those who have never, ever heard. So Paul tells Timothy that the strength to persevere in the Christian life and ministry is found in the grace of Christ Jesus. Timothy needed this strength because he was to live a life of gospel multiplication. And it is hard to entrust the gospel to others. Here in verses 3 through 6, Paul tells Timothy that as he labors to entrust the gospel to faithful men, as he labors to live faithfully the Christian life, that he should expect and embrace suffering in the Christian life and ministry. And that's our third and final point this afternoon. We persevere in the Christian life and ministry by embracing suffering for the sake of the gospel. If you'll look in your Bibles with me to verse 3, 
Paul calls Timothy to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. This is the second time that Paul has called Timothy to share in suffering. And he's going to do so two more times in this letter. Friends, following Christ exposes believers to sufferings and persecution. In fact, if you don't believe me, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. There you will read these words, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Following Christ exposes believers to suffering and persecution, which Timothy, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, should be prepared for. Why is Paul calling Timothy to share in this suffering? Because for the gospel to advance, Paul knows that suffering will be inevitable and that faithfulness in the midst of it will be necessary. The road to suffering will not be easy for Timothy. It will not be easy for any one of us here who wishes to live a godly life in a culture that hates God and hates Christianity. And so what Paul does for Timothy, and by extension all of us in here, is he provides three metaphors, three metaphors for the mindset that one must have if we are to expect and embrace suffering for the sake of the gospel. The first is found in verse 4. It's the metaphor of a soldier. No soldier, Paul says, gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. See, friends, the soldier metaphor embodies the virtue of single-mindedness. See, a good soldier is single-minded. He gives his full attention to his military task and to the obedience of his commanding officer. He keeps himself from becoming involved in the day-to-day minutia of civilian affairs. And Paul's point here is that if Timothy is going to persevere, if he's going to remain faithful when suffering and persecution comes, he needed to be focused. He needed to be single-minded on the task that God had called him to. He will have to shake off all the distractions that the world was offering him. All the things that will pull him away from obedience to Christ and his gospel. And Timothy will need to give himself fully to the service of Christ. And friends, while the need for single-minded service has special relevance for church leaders, it extends to all believers. If we are going to know the gospel and sound doctrine, if we are going to pour into others so that the gospel may, may be passed down, if we are going to proclaim the glory of Christ to those who have never heard, we must have a single-minded devotion to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And friends, the ease, the ease with which we may become entangled with the things of this world only heightens the need for us to be single-minded soldiers of Christ Jesus. So I would pose this question to you this afternoon. Have you lost your focus? Have you become entangled with the things of this world so that you are no longer willing to walk through the difficulties and the sufferings and the potential persecutions for the sake of our King and His Gospel. 
See, Paul reminds Timothy not to become entangled in the things of this world, things that would distract him from moving forward with his calling to proclaim the gospel. And if that is you here this afternoon, I want to lovingly call you back to a single-minded devotion to Christ. And take heart. God's disposition towards his children is one of grace. You may run back to him at this very moment, and he will receive you with arms wide open. And then he will give you grace to continue to persevere in the single-minded devotion to Christ. So the second example, the second metaphor that Paul offers to Timothy is that of an athlete. In verse 5, Paul says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You see, Paul portrays the Christian life as an athletic competition. The Christian life is not a life of leisure or a spectator activity. Similar to the life of an athlete, the Christian life and ministry are one of rigorous training with the goal of winning the victor's crown. As Dr. Kostenberger rightly highlights, Paul's point is that Timothy cannot be satisfied. He cannot be content with a casual, self-indulgent approach to his life and ministry. Secondly, here Paul explains that the Christian life is to be lived according to a specific set of rules. Did you know that in the ancient Greek games, which is pretty much what we believe Paul has in mind here in verse 5, the athletes were required to come before judges and even before Zeus and pledge by oath that they had completed 10 months of training before they participated in the Olympic Games. They did so because those were the rules. Did you know that when it comes to following Christ and serving Him, there are some rules that the Lord has laid out for us? One of the first rules is that of self-denial. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Or perhaps the words of our Lord in Matthew 10, verse 38, where Jesus says that anyone who does not take up his cross and follow him is not worthy of Christ. Friends, verse 5 is a call to Christians to be ready and willing to suffer as followers and proclaimers of the gospel of Christ. I say everything that I'm about to say in humility and in love. If you are unwilling to endure the suffering for the sake of the gospel, the scriptures tell us you cannot be Christ's disciple. You cannot... As Hebrews 2, verses 7 and 9 tells, you cannot receive the victor's crown if you spurn the victor's cross. So the athlete is disciplined to compete according to the rules. He's going to be single-minded in his pursuit of living the Christian life, even if it takes him through hardships and suffering. The third and final metaphor that Paul offers us is the example of a farmer. By show of hands, how many of you have grown up on a farm? That's one more than I thought I would get. <laughs> I grew up in the Philippines. I did not grow up in a farm. But my co-elder 
Nate. He did grow up on a farm out in Iowa. I was talking with him a little bit about what farm life looks like. And he said simply that a farmer always illustrates hard work. In fact, that's what Paul says. Look in verse 6 with me. He says, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The farmer illustrates hard work. And, and Nate, my co-elder, told me, consider a typical farmer's life. He's up early, often before the sun rises. He works all day. His work is never complete. He's always on guard against damage to his crops or to his cattle. He's often met with disappointments, and nothing happens quickly. So a farmer must patiently endure, devoting himself to the task of farming. Hey, church, Paul's goal in providing this metaphor is to draw us back to the hard work of gospel ministry. As Christians who proclaim the gospel, we struggle, we strain, and we persevere on with our commitment to Christ. But it is not without its hardships. It is not without its difficulties, its trials, or its sufferings. But as this metaphor states, those who work hard, who are devoted to the task of the gospel work, will be the first in line to receive the reward. And as we'll see here shortly, the reward is worth the hardships. Be reminded, even as a church who is laboring here in the metro New York area, that gospel work is hard. Things rarely happen quickly, but the Lord is faithful. Keep working. Keep persevering by the grace found in Christ Jesus. So like verses 4 and 5, verse 6 gives us a word picture of what joining Paul in suffering like a good soldier looks like. It is hard. It is tedious. As often there is very little to no appreciation for the work that you place for the sake of the gospel. But serving our Lord Jesus Christ, come what may, is worth all the hardships and sufferings that we face. So Paul wraps up this section by, by stating in verse 7, to think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul wants Timothy, and by extension every believer in this room here this afternoon, to think carefully about these metaphors. You see, these metaphors of the soldier and the athlete and the farmer, they would help Timothy understand that call to suffer. They all have their elements of suffering, but they equally have their elements of reward. The soldier pleasing his commanding officer, the athlete winning the prize, and the farmer harvesting his crops. So this life that the Lord has called us to, this call to be a witness for the sake of the gospel in your neighborhood, in your job, in your home, in this greater metro New York area, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. It is not easy. There is no promise that it will ever be easy. But what we do know is that God will give us the strength to continue to persevere until He calls us home. But I will submit to you that we will never persevere if we do not see the prize as worth it. And what is the prize? Well, friends, in verse 12, in the middle of this hymn, Paul says these words. 
if we endure, we will also reign with him. The prize is reigning with God forever. And if you do not believe that this prize is of any value or worth, you will not embrace or endure the sufferings of the Christian life and ministry. But praise be to God from what I hear about every one of you as you see this prize is worth it. And I give God all the glory for that. So while the Christian life and ministry are hard, please don't give up. Please do not quit. I humbly ask that you would persevere. Be reminded that as Christians, we are to entrust the gospel to others. We should expect and embrace suffering for the sake of the gospel. But we do not do any of this in our own strength. God will strengthen us by the grace that he gives us in Christ Jesus. The resurrection of Christ assures us that we will have everything we need to persevere. And one day, one day soon, we will receive the reward for our perseverance. We will see our Savior face to face. And we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of the Master. Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege it is to be called sons of God. What a humbling thought it is that you would be mindful of us, that you would send Christ, the Son, to lay his life down for a wicked, wretched person like myself. Who are we that you would be mindful of us? Or that not only that you would be mindful of us, but that you would allow us to participate in this grand plan of redemption that you have designed. Oh God, you are so good. You are faithful and kind. And we readily confess that we are too weak for the task at hand. But praise be to God, you have and will continue to provide the grace we need to persevere in the hard relationships we have, to persevere in the work that you've given us, to persevere in, in caring for our families, to persevere in laboring to be a light here in the greater metro New area, New York area. Lord, we will have all that we need in Christ Jesus because you promise that we will. So I pray for this dear church. I pray that this church will tarry on as long as you tarry on in being a light for the sake of the gospel. Let no disunity arise here. Let no fighting, let no, no, let no discord of disunity in any way arise in this church. But Lord, may this church be used to make your glory known among the people in this area. Thank you for such grace and mercy that you've shown us even today. That we are breathing. That we are here. That we get to sing. We get to read your word. We get to pray together. Thank you for your kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.